Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday and looks at every Prime Minister in Canadian history, and currently is looking at every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister. Canada's Great War on Sundays, which looks at the First World War and Canada's involvement in it. And... Coast to Coast on Thursdays, which looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway. I do all of those podcasts full-time. I do the writing, the research, everything. So any dollar you give helps keep it all going. And for all five-star reviews, I will mention you on the air. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Today, I'm looking at the Manitoba community of Lac de Bonnie. So, let's begin. The Indigenous Before the arrival of Europeans, Lac de Bonnie was home to the Anishinaabe, who were a subgroup of the Anishinaabe. The area was important to the Indigenous as the Winnipeg River was a highway for the travel through the region, and there was an abundance of wildlife to hunt for food and clothing. As fur traders started to move through the area in the 1600s and 1700s, they would form a new culture with the indigenous that today we call the Métis. Today, Lac de Bonnie sits on Treaty 1 land, and to the west of Lac de Bonnie is the Broken Head Ojibwe Nation. The Broken Head were one of the first five nations to sign the Selkirk Treaty of 1817, which granted 116,000 square miles of land that would one day lay the foundations of Manitoba. This was the first formal written agreement in Western Canada that recognized Indigenous land rights. The Founding of the Community The first mention of the area that would be Lac de Bonnie came from, and I will do my best to pronounce this, I am working on my French, Pierre Gartier de Verenay sur de la Verendrie. And the story of the name of the community comes from him, at least according to legend, during his travels in the area during the early 18th century. While out with his fellow explorers, they camped on the banks of the Winnipeg River, and he looked around the area that would eventually be the location of Lac de Bonnie, and he decided that the lake was in the shape of a bonnet, 
and from that came the name Lac de Bonnie. He tossed his hat against a tree and said, Ici je prononce la Lac de Bonnie, or in English, I herewith name this body of water Lac de Bonnie. The first settlement in the area was called Eureka, and in 1896, the Lac de Bonnie Development Company would be formed. The company would own the land where Lac de Bonnie now stands. In 1901, the CPR line was built to Lac de Bonnie, and the same year that a sawmill started to operate in the community, which would greatly help its growth. The sawmill would operate until 1918, and the brick plant would operate until 1920. For years, the population of Lac de Bonnie was made up of French Canadians and Métis, but as more immigrants entered Canada, they would settle in the area, bringing a variety of different cultures into Lac de Bonnie. By 1922, Lac de Bonnie had 200 people, while the surrounding population was 1,800. On January 6, 1948, the unincorporated municipality of Lac de Bonnie became the village of Lac de Bonnie, and on June 16, 1958, the village became a town. Today, Lac de Bonnie has a population of over a thousand people. The first airmail flight. Today we take mail traveling by air for granted, but in the 1920s it was something unique and new. On June 1st, 1927, spectators at the town dock watched a plane take off from the mining area, flying to the northeast. Most did not realize that they were not just seeing a plane taking flight, but that it was the first airmail flight in the history of the province, which was being done as a test flight to see if the new form of delivery would work. Around the same time, the RCAF moved its base from Victoria Beach to a point three kilometers downstream from the village. Due to its location, Lac de Bonnie served as a stopping point and gained a reputation as one of the finest seaplane bases in Western Canada. As a result of this, Western Canada Airways chose the community as its first flying base in Manitoba. The first official contract air mail service undertaken by the company for the postage department was carried from Lac de Bonnie on October 4, 1927. The pilot of the plane was W.L. Brittenell, who would eventually become the assistant general manager of Canadian Airways. The Pigeon Post for seven years during the 1930s, Lac de Bonnie had a very unique air force and communication network. It wasn't done with planes, but with pigeons. For those years, two men would sit in an old framed building and a bird would fly in with a message in a container attached to its leg. This was done through the Forest Protection Service, and the pigeons were the first communication network for it. The pigeoneer and his pigeons served as a vital role in protecting not only the forests of Manitoba, but its people as well. All of it began in 1930 when Manitoba took over its own administration of her resources. Prior to this, planes with the Royal Canadian Air Force were used. And when the province took over management, they received five aircraft, their crews, and the Pigeon Post. The cost was $5. Flying out 240 kilometers from Lac de Bonnie to different points, flying to the network of forestry towers across the area, the system could be unpredictable. There were predators out there that could hunt the pigeons, and two pigeons with the same message were often sent to increase the odds of the message getting through. For the men in the towers, they would send the birds out well before dusk to ensure that they had daylight to make it home. Of course, over time the system began to break down. With it being the Great Depression, people were finding food where they could, and that included hunting pigeons. By 1937, it was decided that the pigeon post would shut down for good. 
the old Pinawa Dam Provincial Park. If you like history and beautiful landscapes, then the old Pinawa Dam Provincial Park gives you both. The Pinawa Generating Station was Manitoba's first year-round hydro generation station and it began the hydroelectric development along the Winnipeg River. The station first began to generate power for the area in 1906 and would continue to do so for almost half a century until it closed in 1951 due to construction of the Seven Sisters Hydro Station. During the time it operated, the old Pinawa Dam provided Winnipeg with residential and commercial power, helping to spur its development into one of Canada's major cities. In 1985, the 193 hectare area was designated as a provincial park by the Government of Manitoba. Today, visitors can not only enjoy the beautiful landscape, but also learn about the generation of electricity there on the Dam Ruins Walk, have a picnic, go for a swim, and walk along the old Penawa self-guided trail. This trail takes visitors through the area, from the log houses, to the creation of the dam, to the other industries that popped up. The Usakis Rink One of the greatest athletes to ever come from Lactabani was John Usakis, who reached the highest levels of curling in the country and brought glory to the community. Learning from Ralph and Glenn Bouchart, he quickly picked up the fundamentals of the game and began to compete in high school bonspiels and other local bonspiels as he began to make a name for himself in the curling world. After dominating those bonspiels and winning several championships, the highlight of his career would come in 1977 when he made it to the Briar, the biggest curling event in Canada, where he played as a third, finishing with a record of six wins and five losses. That wouldn't be the only time that he would make it to the Briar, though. In 1989, serving as the fourth on the team, he would once again represent Manitoba and finish with a record of seven wins and four losses. In all, he would make 30 appearances at the men's championships, five appearances at the senior men's championships, six appearances at the mixed championships, and six appearances at the master's championships. In 2008, he was inducted into the Manitoba Curling Hall of Fame. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I've spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. A bridge, a train, and an accident. Today, a bridge crosses the Winnipeg River north of Lac de Bonnie, and the history of a bridge crossing there dates back to 1907, although the bridge there today is not quite the bridge that was first built. The first bridge was built to service the hydro development nearby, and over the years, a lot of construction material would go over it. Unfortunately, all that traffic over the bridge would come at a terrible cost less than a decade after the bridge was built of local timber. On June 30, 1914, a hydro train was going over the bridge from the west when suddenly the bridge collapsed, sending the engine into the water. George Wrighton was killed instantly, while the firemen escaped injury. The crash created a serious situation for Lac de Bonnie and other local residents. Until the bridge was repaired, a ferry had to be used to transport people and equipment across the river. A steam tug and scow was operated by the Winnipeg Electric Company for that purpose, along with a passenger boat for transporting vehicles. The bridge was eventually repaired and a new train was put into service. Unfortunately, there was a worry about how sound the bridge was due to the vibrations in the bridge. Soon, a policy emerged that stated no passengers could cross the bridge on the train. When the train reached the bridge, all passengers would get off and the engineer would set the throttle and then walk across waiting for the train to reach him on the other side. Once it reached the other side, he would stop it and everyone would get on. For the passengers, they had to walk across an 8-foot-wide bridge that had no railings over a very swift river. Most became accustomed to this odd break in their travel, but for some it was a worrying crossing. The practice would continue for years. In fact, the Winnipeg Free Press would write on June 30, 1928, quote, The train stopped to unload at one end of the bridge and every person save one walked over it to wait for the train. The man who stayed behind set his throttle to keep the train moving slowly. Then, he too got off and the train rumbled across the bridge empty. On a rainy day, the sight of all those tourists running over planks was something else. End quote. The issue existed for 17 years until a steel bridge was built in 1931 by the city of Winnipeg and the federal government. In 1952, the bridge was raised, widened, and reinforced after a dam was completed at Powerview. The Explosion and Fire Whenever I do a town history, I often like to look at the serious events that occurred in a community, especially tornadoes and fires. I do this because I feel these events have a way of remaking a community. From the ashes, new businesses come up, and often the buildings are stronger than before. The events are terrible, but from them comes new parts of the community. One of the worst events in Lactabonnie's history came on February 22, 1965, when the explosion of a furnace ignited a fire that would destroy part of the downtown core, while also tragically taking three lives in the process. The explosion happened at 1.30pm on that day in the basement of the bakery. The explosion quickly caused a fire to spread, which trapped the owner and his toddler on the second floor, while his five-year-old daughter was on the ground floor. Sadly, all three would perish. His wife survived, as did a third child who was playing outside. Sanford Peterson had received second-degree burns to his face and hands, and it's likely he would have died in the building, but a second explosion threw him through the window. High winds caused the flames to quickly spread to the McLeod store, which was burned within minutes. After hitting that store, the Lucky Dollar store was hit, 
and only a few items could be saved before it too burned to the ground. Next in line was the post office. Employees quickly cleared out the building of mail, records, and other items in an attempt to save them, and the building was made of brick and firefighters did work hard to save it, and while the building was saved it suffered extensive water and smoke damage in the process. Due to two buildings also serving as home, several people were left homeless from the fire, and the firemen, 20 in total, fought for hours in the cold and biting wind until it was under control. Even in the evening, several remained in an effort to stamp out any bits of the fire that may have flared up. Riverland School One-room schools are hard to find these days, but they are out there if you know where to look. In Lac Bonnie, or at least near to it, you will find Riverland School. The school was built in 1924 during the heyday of one-room schools as a means to provide education to the children of the area, which was increasing in number. Fronted with a storm porch, the school is the last remaining facility of its type in the RM of Lac de Bonnie. Featuring a multi-grade classroom, a large bank of windows, upper openings for air circulation, and a central entrance, the building was built on land donated by Gus Anderson. Over the course of four decades, the school would serve students from grades 1 to 8, and many of the children were from Swedish families who had just immigrated to the area. The school remains nearly unchanged from how it looked decades ago, offering a glimpse into schooling from the long-gone past. The school remains an important part of the legacy of the area, and on December 11, 2008, it was made into a municipal heritage property. The Erickson Cabin Located on a rural lot near the Pinawa Channel, near Lac de Bonnie, there is a small log cabin that was once the home of Hans Erickson. Built in 1937, the cabin still features the same well-chosen logs, smoothed and notched to fit together tightly. Erickson lived in the area to help construct the Winnipeg Electric Railway Company generating facility. He was also employed in cutting wood for the boilers of the plant in the winter. In addition, he supplied the company store with milk from his farm and was one of the first individuals in the area to receive a homestead grant. The structure itself was built for his daughter Linnea, and today it is the only remaining log structure from that time still around after the 1951 closure of the hydroelectric installation and the end of the company town around it. On March 24, 2005, it was made a municipal heritage site. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Lac de Bonnie, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden Doug Campbell Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37.
Thanks. We'll see you again next time.